Well, the sermon series during Lent and leading up to Easter, we've been journeying to Jerusalem with Jesus. And um, uh, last Sunday, Doug uh, took some time to, to really share about the, the prayer that Jesus was sharing at the Garden of Gethsemane. And kind of the crux of that prayer came down to when Jesus realized uh, what God was asking him to do, and he was hoping that God would provide another way. And then God indicated that wasn't to be the way, and so Jesus turns his prayer towards, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And kind of the, the idea of that wasn't, that prayer is not just for Jesus. It's also the invitation when we're followers of Christ that, that God is literally inviting us to consider his will and not ours as priority. And that can becomes a challenge when we're disciples of Christ uh, to move in that direction. Today we'll be looking at this prayer that Jesus uh, prays that we find in John 17. And this is in the upper room most likely, the night that he would be betrayed. And he's with his disciples and it's a very intimate setting and also a very intimate prayer. And, and as we begin this message this morning, I just want to ask a question of parents who either have school-age children or children that are older than school-age. Do you remember the, the day that your first child went to kindergarten? I mean, that was like a really big day in our family's life. And, and uh, it was a day full of emotions to some extent. And, and we're kind of feeling the sense that, oh my goodness, our baby is going away to school and they're leaving the security and the safety of our home and they're kind of going out into the big world. And you're asking the question, is she ready? Is he going to be okay? And during those, uh, those terrible twos and the kind of clingy threes and the whiny fours, I can remember thinking, how quickly will school get here? Because I'd really like my child to go to school. Uh, but then the day comes and all of a sudden you're like, no, not yet. I don't want you to go. And you're kind of like, well, I think I'll get on the bus with my, with my child and go to school with them and uh, make sure he's okay. That wouldn't really be appropriate. And I remember thinking as I'm watching our oldest get on the bus for the first time, I remember thinking, wow, you know, I can imagine in just a blink of an eye, it's going to seem like I'm going to be watching that child walk across the stage and get their high school diploma. Did it feel like that to some of you who have kids who graduated from high school? It just felt like, man, that went so fast. What happened? And in many ways, uh, ready or not, here it is. The day has arrived. Your child is suddenly in the world. And there's a flip side, I think, to this picture. It's the perspective of the child who's going off to kindergarten and is possessed of some feelings, mixed emotion, probably himself or herself. It's probably some sense of excitement, some anticipation, maybe a little bit of apprehension. That's all at once going on. And that kindergarten child will remain with us, I think, for much of our lives in one form or another. During times of anxiety and stress, our inner child will have times that it wishes it could return to the security and the safety of that home environment. Have you ever watched an infant child uh, sleeping in its mother's or father's arms? I mean, it's just a sense of peace and serenity that's on there. Isn't that a great picture? Moms, you're like going, oh, I remember, I remember the day when my baby was like that. And, and I remember, there's times I thought in my life, you know, boy, I wish I could go back to that moment. You know, there's days I look at my day and I think, I would love to be back to be an infant and not have to worry about stress or anxiety or what tomorrow's going to bring. Uh, it's, it's a feeling that comes sometimes, or for some of us, lots of times, when we wish we didn't have to be in the world. Now, the day that I put our first child on the bus for kindergarten was also a big day for me. It was my first day to go to seminary. And I can remember as he got on the bus and all those feelings that you have, mixed emotions, and then I get in the car and I'm driving to my first seminary class and I'm thinking, God, what are you up to? Like, 
you know, I, I can't believe that you're uh, asking me to give up my business job uh, to go into the ministry. And, and I had all kinds of stress and questions. I remember thinking, can I handle this graduate level theology classes I'm going to be in? And, and then I remember the bigger question was, God, how are you going to provide for our family in the midst of this transition? And, and how will you show yourself? And, and what is it, what, what's it going to look like when I get through? And are you going to provide a place for me to serve? And all kinds of questions were running my, through my head that day. And I remember the last thing I thought of was, boy, I wish my mom was with me today. That would really make me feel a whole lot better. But you can't take your mom everywhere you go, can you? It just doesn't work that way. But the world can be a scary place sometimes for moms and dads and also for kids. And the feelings that we have uh, about our children being in the world and about the difficulties that we sometimes have in the world can help us, I think, understand the power and the passion that Jesus is expressing in this prayer for his disciples. And this reading takes place again at the end of Jesus' ministry, and he's with his disciples in the upper room, and the things that he's taught and shared with them uh, represent the last conversation that they're going to basically have before he's crucified. And the anxiety level in that room must have certainly been high as Jesus had shared with them about the plan that he wasn't going to no longer be with them. In fact, he was going to leave them. They were going to remain. He was going to go away. And they were a little bit stressed about that news, as we would have been in their situation. And we know from the story that the disciples are going to be on the verge of being scattered, kind of like a frightened flock of sheep. And Jesus is about to leave them in the world. Jesus turns his heart toward heaven, and he prays this amazing prayer that we have in, in John 17. And really what an amazing range of emotions uh, that are re- represented in this prayer by Jesus. There's a, a sense of, of absolute fulfillment and joy. It's time to return to heaven for Jesus. And yet there's this undeniable awareness of the danger that lay ahead for the disciples. And these two elements are kind of at the heart of the prayer that Jesus is praying. And it's time to leave his followers in the world. Jesus' time has come. He's about to return home from the world. Imagine what it would have been like for God to see his son leave his home in heaven in glory for the suffering and the pain that he knew would come when he went to this world. Now, having completed his, his earthly mission, Christ is on the threshold of returning back, basically to his homecoming, back to heaven. Then we also have the followers of Christ. They remain in the world. And the heart of Christ is filled with concern for them. One of the most powerful experiences that I can remember having in, in life is, is in my first church, there was a woman who was a young woman, a young mother, who was diagnosed with cancer. And, and through the process of her struggle with that cancer, uh, it became a diagnosis of terminal cancer. And I can remember meeting with her for maybe the very last time. Uh, her thoughts had turned from concern about herself to concern for her kids. You know, who was going to watch over them? Who was going to guide them? Certainly her husband was there, but there was the sense of the mother feeling like she's losing control of the opportunity to guide and shape her children's lives. And, and we see some of that emotion, some of that passion in Jesus' prayer. He was concerned for his friends, for his disciples, for his followers. And so this is a powerful prayer. This is Jesus' last prayer with his disciples and and for his disciples. And He wasn't just praying, however, for the 11 disciples that would remain. Uh, He was praying for us in this prayer as well. Did you pick up on that, that he was praying for you and for me in the midst of this prayer uh, in the upper room? Uh, He says in one part of the prayer, he says, uh, he's praying also for those who will believe in me. That's you and me. That's us. 
We're in Jesus' prayer. And, and there's a lot in this prayer that you might expect from someone who's saying a final prayer for those that he loves. And Jesus points to the reason for being in the world. And then in the midst of this prayer, he also makes a request to his followers who will remain in the world. So let's just dive into the prayer and see what Jesus is, is sharing in the midst of this heart exchange between him and his father. And he's praying openly, publicly. The disciples can hear what he's saying. And so let's see what, what's kind of in the midst of this prayer. The first thing I think he's really sharing is he's, he's again telling God, and, he, and in a way he's telling the disciples, he's reminding them of what his purpose was for coming to earth, for being in the world. I think back to that day that my son uh, and even my daughter, who's younger, got on uh, the bus to go to kindergarten. I would have loved to have blocked them from going onto the bus to go to school. There's a part of my heart that said, oh, I just want to continue to to enjoy you at home all day long or or not have you go to school because I knew that, you know, this is the next stage. It's It's a transition. And yet there's a task to do. There's a life to live. There's a, a mission to, to, to complete. There's maturity to gain for, for our kids. And so we sent them off into the world. And I can remember getting into my car the first day of seminary and, and just a sense praying through some tears as I watched my son go away to his first day of school. And so also it must have brought a lot of pain to all of heaven uh, to think about Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth. And yet there was no way that the Word would not become flesh. There was a mission to complete. There was a world to reach. There there was God's mission. There was the glory of God to be revealed. Jesus had to go. And glorify God He did in His life and in His ministry. Lives have been touched. Healing came to many people. God was restored to the center of many people's lives. Followers had been gathered and and it was finally time For Christ's necessary sacrifice, the moment had come on Christ and on his followers. You can see it in his prayer. He begins in verse 1. He says, the Father, the time has come. In verse 4, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. As Jesus prayed, he knew that the road to glory was paved with anguish and with suffering. But right now, the destination was close. The, The end was in sight. The last few hours were underway, and the bright light of God's glory was beginning to crack through the facade, the crumbling facade of the world. And, and yet, in the midst, there was this brief kind of time period, time period where hope was briefly hidden in the shadow of the cross and, and in the grave. But then the power of God's glory was revealed in the empty tomb. The first few phrases of this prayer by Jesus are filled with this distant strains of a victory song. But the, the end is close, and, and there's going to be this incredible victory that God's going to accomplish through all of this. Then the heart of Jesus turns to those who stay behind, and, and he's not just praying uh, about his purpose, but now he's praying for protection. And the protection isn't for himself, for all the things he's going to go through that next day. The protection, the prayer for protection is for those who are going to remain, who are going to stay behind. And how he loved them. You can see it in the midst of his prayer, how he would have probably, I think he wished that he could bring them with him, but they had to stay. There was a mission to complete, a world to reach. His purpose became their purpose. I love verse 11 from this chapter. Uh, I think it's just really touching. You can see the heart of Christ in it. He's basically praying, Father, I'm coming home to you, but they have to stay in the world, watch over them, and protect them so that they may be one as we are one. 
the central thought of Jesus' heart in this passage is that there's a deep-seated, unbreakable oneness at the center of the disciples' life together. Their unity is central to the mission of God. And in the beginning of the prayer, Jesus said, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And without oneness of the Father, with the Father uh, and the Son together, they could not have completed the work. That God could not have been glorified unless the Father and the Son were one uh, in in their spirit together. And so also without the oneness of the community of Christ, we too can't accomplish the work that God has given us to do. But it's literally in that oneness as we share in that love and in that community together that we really can accomplish the mission that God has given us to to do. The work of Christ cannot be completed if we're not united. There were certainly dangers enough in the world that were going to come to these disciples who Jesus was praying for, the ones who would remain. The earliest years of the church, in fact, we see in Scripture, were filled with persecution and with, with suffering. And we, too, even know a sense of heartache and that there's pain and suffering in the world. And many of us have experienced those kinds of things as well. And yet no danger, I believe, is greater, a greater threat to the work and, and the witness of the people of Christ than the destruction of the oneness that Jesus is praying for here. I believe that's why he's praying for this so strongly. It's throughout the whole prayer that, that this oneness, uh, that we might experience that so we can accomplish the work God has given us. And our prayer today would be that God would not allow division to come to his church and to keep us from losing our purpose together as we journey in the steps uh, following Christ. So Jesus prays, reminding folks of his purpose. He prays for the, the disciples' protection and for our protection. And he continues to pray strongly in this prayer for unity. It's, it's kind of weaved throughout the whole prayer uh, that he has. He's praying for this oneness, for us to experience the oneness that he and the Father have. When I read this prayer, the scripture again, I was reminded of a favorite Peanuts cartoon that I read when I was a kid. I love to read Peanuts in the Sunday cartoons. There's a scene where Linus is watching TV alone in the living room. In the next frame, you see Lucy enter the room, and she immediately demands that Linus change the channel to her favorite TV show. And Linus kind of looks up at her like, what gives you the right to come in here and demand your way? And Lucy looks at her hand, and she says, these five fingers. She said, individually, they're nothing. But when I put them together into this unit, they're a powerful force of destruction. And the next frame has Linus with these eyes wide open. He goes, what channel do you want to watch, Lucy? And then the next last frame, he's looking at his fingers and goes, why can't you guys get organized that way? (laughs) I had a sister like her, so I understand Linus's issues that he had. Now, I don't believe that certainly our purpose for unity and power is to be a, a sense of threat to those people that we come in contact. It's not like that. But there is a sense of power, of greatness that happens when the church is unified. When we're unified in the love that Christ has for us and we demonstrate that love for each other and then we demonstrate that to the community and to the world that we come in contact with, there's a power there that is not compared in the rest of the world. So the importance of oneness and unity is emphasized over and over again in this chapter and in this prayer. And I want to read just three different verses again from this chapter for us to be reminded about how important this unity is. And as I read these passages individually, we're going to come to a word that is one. And when we get to the word one, I'm not going to say the word. I'm going to invite you to say one. And I'll prompt you so you'll know when your time is ready to say one, okay? So the first verse is verse 11. It says, Jesus prays, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be 
as we are. Good job. And then verse 20, Jesus prays. He says, I ask not only on the behalf of those, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be the glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be as we are, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely good job. You're paying attention. Do you hear it? Do you hear how often Jesus is reminding us of this, this call to unity, to oneness in the Father, in Him, together? And this unity can't be achieved of our own efforts. It's just not possible. Our unity emerges really as a result of remaining in Jesus by being focused on Him. I think about it this way. Um, have you ever been uh, to a band concert or to an orchestra concert? Uh, both of our kids growing up played band all the way through school. And uh, I can remember go, taking them early to get ready. And, you know, Diane and I are sitting there listening to the band warm up and all the interesting sounds that come out of instruments as they prepare to play the concert. And the first thing a band or an orchestra does, though, is that they tune their instruments. And the director doesn't invite them just to tune together and figure out, you know, how to get their instruments uh, on the same notes. What, what do they do? They, they take one instrument that they know is tuned, and they have that instrument play a note, and then all the rest of the instruments tune their, their instruments to that note. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to do. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's saying, I am the one in which you set the compass of your life to. And as we, we model our lives and we invite Christ to, to transform our, our lives into the likeness of him, that's when we become tuned into this unity, into this oneness that we can share. In fact, I believe that we can effectively accomplish unity in a greater manner in the church when we individually tune our lives like Christ. And that when churches struggle for unity and they just say, hey, let's be unified and let's work on this together, the absent of us individually tuning our lives to Christ, it will not accomplish as much as when we give our lives to following Christ. We make him the focal point. We make him the thing that we pursue individually, and he brings us together as we do that. So Jesus has prayed, reminding us again of his purpose. He's prayed for our protection. He's prayed for our unity. And then he also prays that we are prepared to be sent. The purpose of Jesus' prayer is so that we are prepared to be sent into the world. Jesus doesn't ask the Father to preserve unity, merely to wait until Jesus comes, only for unity's sake. Being set apart does not mean being stored away. Jesus says again, he says, As you have sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. We are preserved, we're protected, we're sanctified, we're unified in Christ so that we can continue Christ's work in the world. That's his focus. We become these things. He, he prays for us to be transformed into, into these kinds of things, not so that we're just some holy saints set apart and not interacting. We're prepared in Christ to do good works, to be a witness into the world. That unity, the protection, it's all there so that we might go out and serve him powerfully in the world. And in fact, so that we become a witness to the rest of the world. Jesus' work was, was to reveal the character of the Father, to show his love for the world, to live out this love in a way that others that would see Christ and see the love that God has for them would believe in God, but also believe that God had sent his Son in order to be their Savior. 
And Jesus did this, I believe, most prominently by giving his life as a sacrifice on the cross. That's the greatest statement of love is when he was willing to die a cruel death for us. Just as Jesus' sole purpose and mission was to be set apart for God's work in the world, so we too are set apart. We're sanctified. We're made holy for God's work in the world. Jesus was made to do this because the Father loved him and because he loved the Father. They're one in the same. They were one in spirit. And he glorified the Father, and the Father glorified him as a result. That's why unity is so key. Our witness, our being consecrated for God's work, has its own specific content, really a love for one another based on the love that Jesus demonstrates to us. We love one another because Christ first loved us. In other words, only by loving one another can we hope to be an effective witness in the world, and that's what we're called. We're called to be a witness. Jesus' prayer for us is not that we're simply going to be protected only to wait until he returns, but that we are sent. We're his missionaries in this world, just as he was sent to this world. We have a mission, and it's only through the unity of love that we can live out this mission together to this world. This is Jesus' prayer. This is his request that we be protected, that we be sanctified, that we be unified, and all for the purpose of being a witness to the world. The disciples, us included, continue Jesus' mission in the world, and we have been commissioned. Again, we are his representatives. In verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying for us before we even believe, to believe. But it's also implied in this prayer that his disciples or his followers are going to be his messengers. They're going to get the message out through their actions of love, through the way that we love one another, the, the the words that we speak about God's love in our own lives. These things all become a witness to a world that needs to see Christ. The reason unity is so crucial to witness and mission is that we live in a world that's defined by conflict, by broken relationships, dysfunctional families, and fractured and even non-existent communities. Such unity would indeed be a sign to others that God is real, that God is at work, that God's mission is active, and that, that human effort cannot accomplish those things. And so therefore, God must be at work in and through the church to bring that kind of love forward. That we love we show to the world is literally a mirror of the love that we have received from Christ. That is to say that our love for one another has to be a costly love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that says, I'm willing to give up some of my own things, to give up my own will, to even give my life in some form or fashion to demonstrate Christ's love for you. That's what it means to receive glory. Jesus received glory by his devotion to doing the will of his Father, and his glorification included his death. And in following Jesus along the same path, there's a sense of he's calling us to that same sacrificial love, to a love that says, I'm willing to give up what I think is most important in order to demonstrate Christ's love for you. And in doing that, we, we too, we too uh, gain God's glory through that process. But again, I would encourage all of us to take heart. Jesus has prayed for us. Again, he's prayed for us in this passage. He prayed for us when he was in the upper room. But not only has he prayed for us, but he continues 
to pray for us. God's Word tells us that He prays for us on a consistent basis. In fact, in Hebrews, it tells us that He is continually interceding on our behalf for our protection, for the unity of the church, uh, to fulfill God's mission and to share God's love with a broken and a hurting world. Jesus continues to pray those prayers over us and for us. So as we're called to be His representatives, as we're called to to live in unity together, uh, to do the thing that's impossible by our own own human effort, to be witnesses effective to the world, Uh, aside from God's love, that's pretty hard to do. But to do those things, Christ prays for us continually, that we continue to experience and know his love in our lives. And out of that love, that we're basically we're an overflowing fountain demonstrating how much God loves everyone else, that we love each other, and that we love those that are in the world. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you for this passage that, that teaches us that we are called to abide in you. That apart from you, that we can do nothing. But Christ, help us to journey together in unity in our faith, seeking to share your word in new and in creative ways. Lord, help us to love you as well as each other, And that we would be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit. For it's in the name of Jesus, your Son, we pray. Amen.